You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Once you have your Bibles, then turn in your copy of God's Word to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. Leviticus is that third book in the Bible. You'll find it uh, there towards the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus uh, there. And uh, um, this is the final message here in, uh, in our series. So if you're new with us, then uh, uh, you can find the other messages online. Hopefully you've been reading through the book of Leviticus. Did anybody make it through twice uh, in, in this month? Some of you laboring through it, some are like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. I understand, I understand. You don't have to. It's okay. You can keep reading, even though we're going to be done with this. Just keep on reading your way through it. You know, we have reached that point in our destination there at the center of the Leviticus bullseye. You know, we've been working our way inward on the outer edges through the problem, through the priests, through the rituals, and now we're there at the sacrifice. Everything else is revolving around these chapters. And this day, in this book, it's really the climax of Leviticus. It's the, the, the thread that is holding everything together. As Leviticus, it, yes, you can read it through chronologically, but the point, the flow, how we understand it is this chiastic structure, but here for us in these bullseye rings and at the center in this sacrifice, the innocent substitute, the day of atonement is the thread that ties all the rituals and all the feasts and the priests and the do's and don'ts together. And all along, we've encountered the problem that we have, right? That our sin separates us from God, separates us from one another. We are unclean. We are unholy. And that is the problem. We've encountered the insufficiency of the priestly system. That only the clean, only the holy can come near holy God. And as good as it was and as awesome as that system was, it was still insufficient and pointing to something else. And all along the way in Leviticus, we have encountered the grace of God. The grace of God to make a way for Israel to be near to him. Through all the rituals, through all the feasts here, through the multitude of sacrifices designed to make atonement for them to cover over their sin, to make them clean when they were unclean or holy as they were unholy. The multitude of ways in which they sinned, these, this atonement brought them back to the Lord. And as you can imagine, all this was burdensome, right? Of carrying through all these things it was burdensome. Imagine living in this system, how often you'd have to make a sacrifice. Especially if you had an active working conscience, you would go broke. It would be, you, you, as you were made aware of your sin and then you looked at your herd and you're like, things are getting pretty tight around here. What do I have? If you, there's the diseases that exist and the uncleanliness of living in the wilderness, it seems like you would perpetually be outside the protection of the camp. 
So much keeping us from the Lord. And so God in his grace makes this, gives them this annual day of atonement to cover over all of Israel's sins. A catch-all day, if you will, that God's people would come together and there be their sins atoned for. And here's what God meant to teach us and Israel in this day. Write this down. It's the central point. Write it in your notes. Write it in the margins of your Bible. So as you read through this, you won't forget it. For here is the central point. Someone has to die in order for the unholy to be holy. Write that in your notes. Someone has to die for the unholy to be holy. See, note the, the, the biblical themes here kind of uh, culminating in this passage, which we'll read in just a minute. Death was the consequence for sin entering the world. Our, uh, sin and death separates humans from the creator. Holy God, as creator, gives life. He's the one who breathed life into Adam and Eve and every of his offspring since then. And as sin entered the world, it brought with it death. So as Genesis is flowing on there, there's creation, sin entering the world, and then immediately after, and these people, and they died. They died, and God knew this. He knew the problem, and he made a way through it, upholding his justice without compromising his holiness in someone, or in this case, some animal, as we'll see in the Day of Atonement, would die as a substitute, an innocent substitute in their place. And so what I want us to do is I want, I'm going to read for us Leviticus 16 in its entirety. It's 34 verses. You can uh, follow along with me and then we'll kind of uh, uh, summarize it here to help us uh, understand what's going on and to see what the Lord is doing here. Leviticus 16, look at your Bible and follow along with me as I read it here for us. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. That's a good timestamp for us, right? Just kind of time out. Good timestamp referring back to Leviticus 10 when Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, when they offer uh, unauthorized fire and they are no more. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat but in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Just kind of, that's this is a transliteration. You can think scapegoat there, okay? And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. 
He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on front of the mercy seat on the east side and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. So with me? All right, verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar." And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statue to you forever in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. The priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is God's word for God's people. Whew. Now that's a lot to take in, is it not, church? Some of you are looking at me with kind of like bewilderment in your eyes of what in the world is going on in all of this. And it is almost like a foreign language, isn't it? 
Uh, we don't uh, fully understand here. We can't necessarily think of it unless we've grown up in a society like this. And so what I want to do is just kind of recap it uh, with, uh, uh, with just uh, uh, overview summary so you can kind of get the feel of it that will help us then understand some of the, what is going on here. And what I think will help us is if we just put the, the, uh, the layout of the tabernacle here. I know this is kind of rudimentary here, but this, is, this will help you kind of see what's going on here. So from the right side of the screen would be the entrance into the into the larger uh, tent or tabernacle and you have the altar there at the beginning the brazen laver that's the wash statement or station and then the holy place and then that second veil that separates the holy of holies and that's the whole point of the day of atonement only on this day could the high priest after all that we just read could he go in there where the ark of the covenant is where god uh, had promised to dwell with them in their midst but the unholy could not go in there, only the holy could. And so God was very specific and very elaborate in the details on how they could go in there and why. And so just know, just kind of follow with me here. The priest would have to get dressed in all that holy garb. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the priest, he would have to cover himself in a righteousness, not his own, not wearing his normal, regular day clothes, but he would put these things on. And then we get two goats for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering and kind of have them in the ready and then he would get a bull uh, to offer for the priest himself and two goats, one for the Lord and one for the scapegoat or Azazel there. And he would bring them then to the altar. The bull would be killed then first. And this was for the priest for his own sins. Because remember, is he holy in and of himself? He's not. And so he would kill the bull for himself in his own household there he would kill that on the altar and then he would take some of the blood and the censer with uh, the incense to uh, kind of cover himself and to put a veil over the mercy seat as well so that he would not die now that's pretty profound language right there especially as we think of what happened like god's not one to be trifled with right Take the fire from the Lord's altar. They're not your own fire. Come in before the Lord. They knew full well what would happen if you did not follow these details. Right? And so he'd come in, he'd bring the incense there, and then he would sprinkle the blood of the bull on the east side of the mercy seat there. He would uh, apply the blood to the Ark of the Covenant there. Come back out then, and lots were cast for the two goats. It's like, you know, they drew straws or they rock, paper, scissored for whichever one would go for the Lord and whichever one would get to live and bear the shame and be cast into the wilderness. The one that drew straws there for the Lord's goat would then also be a sacrifice on the altar, and his blood uh, would also be sprinkled on the mercy seat in the same way as the bulls did to atone for uh, the sins of the uh, the uncleanness and the transgressions of the people, right? So these two uh, uh, sacrifices then cover three things, the priest's sins, the priest's house, and the people of Israel's, their uncleanness, all those emissions and bodily discharges that we've read about, all of the, the skin diseases and all the uh, physical and spiritual things that would make them unclean and their transgressions. Now this would happen. And then they would take the blood of the, of the bull and the goats and they would then also sprinkle it on the altar then seven times all around this. Now, as they take that blood, then they would take the scapegoat. 
Azazel. And the high priest, as you're saying, would lay his hands on it in an act of, of laying on the burdens, the responsibility of all the iniquities, transgressions, and sins of the people. Those that they knew about, those that they did not know about, laid on the head of that goat and the man who was in readiness. Don't you love that term? Like, that would be kind of a cool job. The man in readiness. All right. <laughs> takes a goat, and he takes it outside the camp and he sets it free bearing all the, uh, the shame and guilt of the people in the wilderness, separated perpetually from the people of God. Gone free. Now, that man then, before he could go back in, he would have to wash himself before he could then even come back in. In the meantime, then the high priest goes back into the tent, not into the Holy of Holies, but he goes back into the tent to remove his holy clothes. He then has to take a bath uh, to make himself ceremonially clean and put on his, his other clothes then to offer the burnt offering again for himself and a burnt offering for the people and to burn the fat of the sin offering, the, 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 the real sustenance for the people there on the altar now the goat man is coming back, but then the bull and the goat were carried then outside the camp. All that remained then of those things, they were taken outside the camp in their entirety, and they were burned by a specific designated man. And then after he did all that burning, before he could come in back into camp, guess what he had to do? Wash himself as well, make himself ceremonially clean before he could enter into the camp. And all this happening annually in a procedure even after this and the end of the chapter. Now, what do we make of all these commands? Knowing that God is purposeful in it, right? That he's pointing us vertical. He is uh, he's very particular about it. He's providing relief. He's building an anticipation for the people, giving them relief, a means to cultivate their faith and, and, and to provide forgiveness, but not to just create it in it. But the Lord is being super particular because any sort of variance from it could have eternal consequences for many. So all along the way in all of this that we've seen over and over again is that God is so particular in it. Giving these days, not just like mere calendar reminders, like a tradition, like, oh, hey, today's the day of atonement. Like, let's, you know. No. They are foreshadows to a greater fulfillment, to greater spiritual realities of one that would come in a Messiah whom we know as Jesus. Who we know as Christ. All of these things, even this day of atonement and God's great mercy and his forgiveness on this day to cover over their sins. Even still, they had to do it every year. Even in this, there was imperfections. And even in this, it wasn't the final reality, the once for all forgiveness of sins forever. The writer of Hebrews brings us to the forefront again, as, as he's done so many times over and over. Go over to Hebrews chapter 9, and I want you to see this for a second. Keep your finger, because we'll come back to Leviticus in just a moment. But hop over to Leviticus 9. Because what he does is really helpful for us who don't live in these realities. He explains it in, uh, in the first uh, oh, five verses for us. Okay? He explains that Hebrews is at towards the end of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. Go to the end and go back to the left. You'll find it there. And just listen as I read this. He says, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. That's a, kind of an understatement, right? 
regulations that cover chapters in the uh, Torah there. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. You see it there? Like I said on the screen. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. It's the Ten Commandments. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. It's good because we have, like I said, books of the Bible that explain all the details of it, right? Verse 6, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as which, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Great explanation, right? teaching us what, uh, what is happening here, what all this is about, but also highlighting the insufficiency of even this. But note then where this goes in verse 11. But. Love that word when you find it in the scripture, the comparison, the con- contrast here. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Church, that's God's word for us here. But see, Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, what Christ has did was pointing to this far greater truth that Christ died in our place. All of that was pointing to a greater reality when one who would come who would die, that whose blood would be applied, whose blood would be poured out once for all for the forgiveness of sins. And this was Christ dying in our place. All of Leviticus is revolving around this central truth that someone has to die for the unholy to be holy. And that was finally and forever and fully Jesus. Church, this is the gospel. It's the good news as the golden, uh, the, the diamond gem, if you will, of Leviticus. The gospel of Jesus Christ that he died in our place. And we're just like distilling down all these regulations, all these rules, all these rituals down into this here is that Christ was dying in, died in our place and would come. It's just the good news of Jesus because we know we are sinners. He created us. We're sinners. Our sin has separated us and there's nothing we can do about it. So quite simply in four words, 
chapter just to shrink down the gospel, shrink down the, the good news of Leviticus. It's Christ in my place. You want to shrink it down even more to, and just the two words, substitutionary atonement. You want to get it down into one word? Grace. Christ. The one who died in our place, the one whom we repent of our sin and believe on him, that it was his death that secured our eternal and everlasting redemption and set us on a new trajectory in our life. See, his death put sin to death in us. Therefore, we no longer uh, uh, fear eternal separation from God. Therefore, we are no longer mastered by sin. And so we could say it this way. If we need a takeaway here, uh, write this down. Christ died in our place so that we can die to sin. So that we can die to sin as we acknowledge it and confess it, as we uh, release the guilt and the shame that comes from, uh, uh, from, uh, uh, from the consequences of our sin that we do give into. It is Christ who is, is uh, dying in our place and putting sin to death in us so that we can daily acknowledge our sin before God. Now we no longer have to come and offer a bull uh, for our own sin and the sin of our household. But even in doing so, they're acknowledging their sin was against God. As they come and we confess our sin as they would offer the ram before the Lord for their uncleanness and their transgressions, we can come and freely confess our sin, putting it to death, bringing it into the light without fear. And let me just be clear about this whole this theme because it's been all throughout Leviticus, and I don't want you to miss this in it because over and over it's talked about this uncleanness, and our uncleanness separates us from God. But, but, but please note this, like uncleanness in and of itself is not sin. It's what we do or don't do with our uncleanness that makes it sinful. Okay? They, they, when they we were unclean and they, uh, and they allowed it to hurt or harm others, to infect them with the, the disease in which they had, or it, it, it caused them to dishonor the Lord and just traipse into, the, into his presence or to come before him with uncleanness, that's when it turned into sin. Much in the same way in our own hearts, our uncleanness, as we think of like uncleanness, like a bad attitude, right? Like bad attitudes just kind of are inherent to our, you know, our human nature, our human fallenness. We wake up in the morning on the wrong side of the bed, right? Or grumpy. Be frustrated or angry or impatient. These things that uh, creep up in us. It's, and, and in and of itself, those things aren't necessarily sinful, but it's when we allow those people next to us to infect others, to, to, to harm God's creation, or we come and we start blaming the Lord uh, for things happening, or we just uh, come and serve Him with a, with, with, a, with a grumpy heart. It's when we allow that to then hurt others and dishonor the Lord, and yet we can come and just confess it. Bring it into the light, and God releases us then from the burden of it. Like the scapegoat, all the guilt, all the shame as the consequences for the sins that we have committed now borne by somebody else in the, the case of the goat then and for Christ now, he bore the guilt and the shame so that we don't have to. The enemy wants us to do is just like hop on that goat and keep riding it around in the wilderness. You don't have to, church. You don't not as Jesus bore, you're now dead to it. You can walk in newness of life, fully and freely forgiven by the Lord. Be cleansed and return to life. 
returned to life, washed, purified, humble before the Lord. It says they afflicted themselves. I don't see that as like they come in like they're like beating themselves with whips or whatever. Like, like no, no, no. It's like to severely humble themselves, where they were purposely inconveniencing themselves on this one day to not do any work, that they would be so low before the Lord in repentance. See, we can be cleansed and return to life as we confess our sin to the Lord and know that Christ has given us a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a way of humility the way of vulnerability, the way of teachability before the Lord. See, Christ died in our place so that we can die to self. You know what? This is like the central truth. We, you're like, yeah, we get it. This is like the simple gospel. And I want you to see how profound it is and yet how, so how serious God is. Because as we come back to Leviticus in chapter 17, it's like the Lord gives these additional commands here. A few extra commands. Uh, 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 instructions, if you will, because he cares about the who and the where and what of their offerings and will not allow any distractions or any distortions of, of the particularities of his, uh, of his sacrificial system. And so come back to Leviticus because I want to read chapter 17 here so you can see what the Lord is doing and intending in this. Now note, Christ died in our place. Someone has to die for the holy or the unholy to be holy. The Lord is very particular about protecting these details. Leviticus 17, beginning in verse 1, say this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Now, if that's being spoken, it's like, all right, we better listen up, right? If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it uh, to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. Now just notice like how serious that is because what is happening in the sacrificial system, right? Our guilt, our sin is all being imputed or transferred or put on the animal, right? In this case, who's bearing the responsibility for it? Man, right? Don't do it according to God's ways, then it's on you. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, so they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generation." And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it from the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. Verse 10, if any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also, the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, 
who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself clean. But as if, if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. This is God's word for God's people. Now again, these are additional commands, a few things to help protect from any distortions to the way that God had designed this whole system. And you're kind of like, what in the world is going on here? Now, it's, it's just kind of very simply understood like this. The Lord is saying, do this, not this. I'm very serious about this. Don't do it this way. This, the, do it this way, or this way you're going to bear this sin yourself. You're going to be cut off from your people, right? What is, he, what is he saying? Like, just very simply, he's like, God cares about the who, why, what we worship. He's like, you sacrifice at the altar in the way that I instruct, not uh, to goat demons, you know, and, and these idols here. I know that seems strange. We're going to come back to it in just a moment here, right? Because you offer it at the altar. You offer it to me, not anywhere you want, and not to these goat demons, right? You, the blood is to be sprinkled or burned, but not to be consumed. The blood is very important. The blood is symbolic of life. God gives life, the death of another in your place. It's not to be trifled with. It's not to be consumed. It's either to be sprinkled or burned. And anything that is brought is to be killed intentionally. Don't bring me roadkill. Right? I'm just like, oh, hey, I found this along the road. I'll just I'll bring this. No, no. God is very serious. It's pointing us forward, right? He's pointing us forward here. God takes very seriously blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He's pointing us to the blood of Christ that would be poured out. The blood of Christ, Christ dying in our place so that we can, here's the second point, die to self. Christ died in our place so that we would die to sin, but also to our own ways of thinking we can do whatever we want. Our own ways of thinking that we can worship the Lord as we want or we can make ourselves holy. No, Christ died in our place so that we can die to self and be holy as he then is holy. And this is what Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 16. He said, you want to follow him? And take up your cross. Deny yourself. Well, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. Forever would lose his life, or whoever would save his life, you should just read it. Yeah, right? Forever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul. See, here's, here's the whole point in all this, church. Left to ourselves, we, we would never be holy. Even with the instructions, God has to give us all of these things here because we can never do uh, the Lord's commands. We, we, we know what to do, but then we doubt God's character. Is he really going to come through in all this? We, we doubt his wisdom in his, in, in his instructions when we think that we uh, know better than him. We're deceived by our own understanding. To think we know better than the Lord. Well, wait, we can do it out here, right? Like, it doesn't matter here. We get distracted by our own sinful propensities. 
lose the intentionality and the purpose for which God is calling us to. And so we must die to uh, our own doubts, die to our own uh, uh, belief that we are so much smarter than the Lord. See, our own independence makes us think that we can worship in our own way. In our own place, we can do whatever we want. We, and, and God is up there like, no, 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 not that way, this way. Not through your own sacrifice, through Christ. Not in, not in your own works. You only worship me through the work of Christ. No, going horizontal is not the way to worship. You worship me vertically. You make much of me. You open my book. You lift high Christ. You call on me in prayer. You make known the gospel. You worship me in an uncommon community. You do all to the glory of God this way, not any other way. And yet, even in all that, our ignorance will lead us into idolatry. Even, even when we think, like, uh, un, unknowingly, unintentionally, we can, uh, we can just traipse into making what uh, things are good into gods. Which brings us back to the whole goat demon idol thing. Like, that just seems bizarre, doesn't it? What's going on here? And yet, as you just place yourself back in the history of where they're at, like, goats were just a regular part of their life. Right? They, were, they were resources. They would likely have herds of goats and sheep and, and bulls. They were everywhere here. They were just a normal part of life. And he's, they, they, the problem was is that they had made them idols, which isn't you know, so far off base. When you think of, of, uh, of what's gone on in Israel's history here, it's not that far in the distant uh, past where they were making a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain meeting with the Lord. And it wasn't just like some rando guy, but who's leading them in making a golden calf? Aaron. I'll just chew on that this afternoon. Make that like your lunch discussion or uh, with your family this afternoon or especially at small group this week. Just less than a year since that incident. And then they built the whole tabernacle and all the things. And now they're here. And, and what did we just see a few chapters ago? Aaron gets to meet with the Lord. He's in the presence of God with uh, Moses. That's mercy, y'all. Mercy. Yeah, that happened not so long ago. And now it seems like they're here in the wilderness and they're beginning to apparently think that, you know what, it's not God who's sustaining us. It's actually these goats. Their life is somehow, we're not given a whole bunch of details, but just the, 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 the language here is, it's, this is serious. They hoard, they are lusting after this. It's, it's serious. I say, no, no. And yet... We're not all that different, are we? We make good things into God things. Our kids, our work, our hobbies. And we allow our life to revolve around them. We begin to think, no, my kid's happiness is going to sustain me. No, this promotion is what will sustain me. No, this hobby is what is going to give me joy. No, this food is what, is what brings me pleasure, This what, whatever it might be. And good things, things from the Lord, then take center stage, and it all goes awry. Before we know it, we begin to worship it. Our life begins to revolve around it. The, 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 the space in our calendar gets consumed by it. But I say, no, not that way. It's a good thing, but it's not a God thing. Worship me, not that. This is where the point, like, where idolatry is demonic. Not in, like, the weird, like, horror movie, like, you know, possessed thing or anything. But anything that steals glory from the Lord is from the pit of hell. 
God is serious about. We have to die to self. We have to die to, to making good things into idols. You know, even as the chapter goes on, like we have to die to self because our indolence, our laziness makes us slack in how we worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ. It's like, eh, well, we're just here's some roadkill I have to make. I, I've sinned, you know, and I, that's like a really good one. And so why don't I just take this animal that I found here in the wilderness dead and I can offer that to the Lord? And the Lord's like, no, no. That's like us finding a $20 bill on the sidewalk. No, no, I'll bring that. that there's the Lord's offering today. You know? You know, Christ died in our place so that we die to self and go vertical to worship him where he sets us on a new trajectory, where he graciously makes a way for us to be in his presence. Christ took care of all this because he desires us to meet with him. He, he, he goes through all the trouble because he knows the seriousness of our sin, that we'll, we will die, we will be consumed if we're not careful. And yet he loves us so much, he graciously sent Christ to live the perfect life according to all God's laws, dying the death of an unclean, unholy sinner separated from God outside the camp and rising again so that we can live within holiness uh, now and forever with him. And this is the beauty of the gospel, church. It's what Christ has done for us, dying in our place and showing us how we might live so that we could be with him out of his great love and mercy he died for us and didn't he give us a reminder even now in our day as a church he gave us a reminder that is not just the like reminder of his death it's it's is a reminder of his blood being poured out pointing to something pointing to a greater reality where we take it and, and, and proclaim the lord's death until he returns it's an ordinance we call communion or the Lord's table. Not just something dictated by tradition or a calendar, but something that is pointing us to the greater reality of Christ's atoning work, his substitutionary atonement on the cross that has saved us. And it is a message that we will continue to proclaim until he comes back for us. And even as we uh, bring this Leviticus series to a close, my prayer is that in all the uh, rituals, in all the instructions, in everything that we have covered here, that your affection for Christ has grown exponentially. That your love for him, that you can see his work all the more, that the life of Christ in the Gospels becomes that much more vivid for you. And at the same time, we have a greater sobriety about our sin. The seriousness which with God takes it, a great privilege that we have to come into his presence, which is a great reminder, even in communion, even as we come to the table, as we remember uh, the instructions in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, the warning there of taking it in an unworthy manner, where he says, and some of you have gone sick, some of you even died. And yet we can, as we come in the blood of Christ, thankful, knowing we don't deserve it, we can come with, we're sorry, for our sin, but how, how grateful we are, grateful we are for Christ more and more. And so would you bow your heads, let's pray, and we're going to take a communion together. God in heaven, here we are. Hearts captivated by uh, these uh, thoughts of Christ, 
seeing now here at the center, all of this coming together in Jesus. And so we need your help now, Lord. We need your help, Lord, as we examine our own lives. To see if there's any way in us that is harming others, harming ourselves, dishonoring to you. Telling you thank you. Thank you for this. The, thank you for the gift that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.